0: In the face of the current atrocities perpetrated against the Ukrainian people by the government of Russia, we want to make you all aware of an opportunity to provide free therapy to those most impacted by the war in Ukraine. The organization called It's Complicated has created a platform for therapists from all around the world to offer their services for free. Particularly if you speak Ukrainian or Russian, please consider creating a profile at It's Complicated life slash en slash It's complicated is providing a secure online platform to conduct the sessions and will match people needing support with available therapists free of charge. Please consider creating a profile to provide free therapy to those impacted by the war. Go to itscomplicated.life/en/ukraine. We want to give you an update about somatic integration and processing trainings coming up. SIP 1 and SIP 2 are both approved for 21 NBCC hours. And we have big news. They are also each approved for 10 hours of approved advanced credit through MDRIA. So if you're working on your EMDR certification, SIP trainings can count towards your needed advanced training hours. We're so excited to be able to offer this to all of you. More exciting news is that we're offering SIP 1 for an Australian time zone. On July 22nd through the 24th, we will host a virtual training starting at 7 a.m. UTC plus 10. If you're in another time zone, you're welcome to attend this one as well. But we've had so many people from Australia reach out about SIP that we wanted to make it more accessible for all of you. We also have SIP-1 available in American time zones on June 23rd through the 25th and again on October 20th through the 22nd. Go to our website for all this info and more at beyondhealingcenter.com or email us at trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. Thanks so much.
1: Welcome to the Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to.
2: Here you'll find clinicians and researchers discussing cutting-edge research from the embodied relational sciences explaining why and how people work together to find healing.
1: Welcome back to The Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to. Season 2. We're here. We're here. Another season. Another blessed season. Which...
2: Is accompanied by new music.
1: New music, which you just heard. Yes. You just heard the so new excited. music. So excited. Yeah. It uh we've Caleb and I did this for all of our podcasts. Yeah. Which is super exciting.
2: Yep. Played around new music, did some jam sessions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let it just kinda of marinate a little bit.
2: Yeah, which are they're all very intentional as far as the mm-hmm. the felt sense of the podcast and yeah. the movements of different notes
1: yeah you'll also i'm sure notice uh kind of a step up in kind of our i guess professionalism which is an intentional move as well just like the ads that we're now kind of placing which is a super huge victory also because ads are hard to dynamically place yeah as we've come to learn if
2: you've never done it yeah it's really hard it's a trip and it might it might be hard for just us but Yeah, maybe it's easy for others. It's universally hard. But I
1: feel like it has to be. Yeah. With how yeah. It's a difficult thing to understand. (laughs) And so um there's that as well. And then the um all the intros and outros are from Beyond Healing Media. Yes. Which is a, a new entity that we've decided to formalize just to help us ensure that we're kind of on track with our mission and vision and uh the allocation of resources, um, from even just a editing standpoint, because there's a ton of Mm -hmm. (laughs) post-production that goes into this work. And so we've been so fortunate to grow in that, in having, um, a filmographer come on the team and then, uh, plans for more content editors to come on the team. Um, so it's just been really exciting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The ability to reach more voices and to have more people Uh, kind of like what we talked about in our theory creation podcast episode Mm. of more people having access to the conversation. Yeah. And if more people have access to the conversation then the conversation, just like all humans are emergent processes. Yeah. The conversation becomes more emergent, more people get involved and the beauty transforms Mm. and Mm. exponentially grows. Mm. And so, yeah, so excited with the the evolution of our team and what we get to kind of dream about in this next year, which is, Kind of what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, it's A little bit of review and then kind of giving you listeners a window into what's to come. Hopefully, this is my dream, selfishly, is that every listener takes the the show notes, mm-hmm. looks at what articles we're going through and begins to sort of read with us. Yeah. And process kind of what we're going to dive into in season two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's it's probably okay to just like listen to us, but I think
1: the real to read magic, along is the yeah. whole point, yeah. like to engage at the same time. Yeah, is yeah, the whole point. Yeah. yeah, and
2: to have questions with us and our heart from the beginning was to make research a little bit more palpable for yeah. people and to see that there's a there's a story behind the jargon and mm-hmm. people are trying to make sense of the world, even though it is. You know, sometimes very rigidly put into a structure, a scientific method. Um, they're still exploring the stories that we're inhabiting and experience every, experiencing every day. Yeah. And so to get readers excited about that. Like yes. Hopefully in season two that that you feel that a little bit more.
1: Yeah. And we're going to try to be more intentional even with just, you know, we've, we've selected all of the articles that we're going to be using for this season. So we're going to try to make those known now to you. So even as you're anticipating the release of the next episode, you can be reading right along with us Mm -hmm. in what we're, what we're working with. And this, uh, one of the, you know, kind of just intentions about the, uh, episode that you're currently listening to is to even just process, uh, kind of for the first time between you and I, like really what the podcast has been, where we are now and where we're going. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we've, we talk a lot just throughout the interactions that we have on all kinds of different things, but this is kind of a special time that we just get to sit and talk about EBT. Yeah. No pressure to talk about anything else.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that now that's beautiful in its own way. Yes. I want to kind of like even zoom out uh, on that like idea of why this, this felt like an important podcast episode to have. Yeah. Um, Because I've listened to many podcasts and there is like a quality of like, sometimes I'm just at the whim of the podcasters. Like I don't really know who they're interviewing. I don't know. What's to come? It's sort of just like I get the notification. It pops up. It's like, oh, great. Like, that's release. cool. New release. And sometimes I'm super jacked. Sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe the next episode. But this, the intention of this episode is to say, this is what drove us to choose what we chose in season one. And then how that has evolved with us mm-hmm. into what we're going to choose in. 2022. as research does. That's yes, another thing.
1: Yeah. Like this is ongoing active research that you're listening to right now. Yes.
2: Yeah. And 2022 being filled with articles that are really going to challenge therapists and non-therapists alike, but mm-hmm. really challenge therapists on what does it mean to inhabit the name that we've called this this podcast of being an evidence-based therapist Yeah, and really wrestling with what does that mean? What are the limits of what that means? Um, so I'm super excited, but I, I like that we're having a conversation that you breaks the third wall in a way. Yeah. Like this is, we've had discussions about what articles to, to choose, but this is us giving listeners mm-hmm. the opportunity to say, here's
1: what's to come. Yeah. Like, yeah. And even in you, like just sort of identifying the callback that this season's theme is to the name of the podcast, because we intentionally named it EBT evidence-based therapy be- because it is provocative to say that. Yeah. You know, some have a perspective on EBT that it's a gold standard that, you know, it it has to be evidence based. uh, And if it's not, then, you know, insurance isn't going to reimburse for it. And it's really not worth our time because we want to be efficacious in Mm -hmm. our implementation of these treatment modalities. And we, I think, and the argument is pretty clear in the literature review that we're weaving together, that underneath that intention, we've buried our own head in the sand yeah that just because we wanted ebt so bad evidence-based therapies so bad we created the criteria by which we would call them that we then created the methodologies and the designs that would validate how evidence-based they are and then we just recommended them
2: yeah yeah
1: that doesn't necessarily mean anything other than we agreed that, yeah, this is a reasonable outcome to expect and to then compare other treatments to.
2: Mm -hmm. And, and just speaking purely as a therapist, like evidence-based therapy, like is anxiety relieving until I'm in the session. And then the, the anxiety of the potential that this intervention may not bring about the somatic integrated relief that the Mm. client is seeking that like that still brings up
1: that perhaps ah, even more because it's just like wait what this is supposed to work yeah
2: and so we're going to talk about like authors in the field who are doing research that are saying no yeah yeah like it does there there's a reason this is working there's also a reason why it's showing certain results some of that is super integrated well informed makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. and like can work can be kind of duplicated but there are some severe limits and Mm -hmm. even how we're setting these design, these random control trials and um, efficacious studies, even how we're setting them up. That is kind of giving us a little bit more of like a desire for a clear answer than Mm -hmm. maybe what's possible in therapy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think there's such, and this is one element that I can't wait to explore in the season. There's such beautiful and innocent wishfulness in that desire to have an evidence-based treatment. Oh, yeah. I mean, how I just feel, I can, I just can connect with the feeling of like, yeah, I, I, I practice an evidence-based model. And so I have a high degree of confidence, a high degree of hope, and a lot of certainty. I mean, it's a like what a place to be as a therapist Mm -hmm. to have that to be able to say like, Oh no, I know that what I'm going to do is going to work and I know that they're going to get better. And I know that it's going to be in the time that they want. Yep.
2: Yeah. Wow. I can activate in your system a hope that I have as a therapist and hope is a huge moderating factor for y'all. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense that we want it Mm -hmm. and we desire it. I love your switch from, like making sure that our attunement to the desire, oh. the the cultural desire as therapist to have evidence-based therapies for as much as it may be activated by the affective circuitry of fear. Yeah. It is also affect affectively activated by care. Yeah. Nurture and this desire to actually see our clients flourish.
1: Yeah. And that I love that you brought, I just love that you brought up the affective neuroscience. Oh, of course. It, let's, it provides a perfect way of talking about this. When seeking and fear hang out as a therapist, think of the energy by which you will just, I mean, flail searching for the evidence-based therapy. And then when you find it or feel that you've found it, how much you'll defend it, how rigidly you'll cling to it, how you will drag people (laughs) through it because you feel like, no, this is the way. Yeah. Yeah, it's the way
2: it almost has to be
1: yeah But when nurture and seeking hang out It's this place of I want it to work so bad and i've i've personally sat in in sessions with people that they are looking at me You know trusting the process of course, but like lamenting the pain Why aren't you helping me? The same people that maybe a couple months later will be like night and day different. Yeah. But in the throes. Yeah. yeah, It's like, I am hurting worse than when I started. Yeah. Can you say at that moment that that's an evidence, evidence evidence-based treatment? Really? Yeah. Like it's just so provocative. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it, um, there's so many potential like authors that I'm want, my brain's wanting to associate this, but the quote, um, we run fastest in the dark. We we oh. we seem to run fastest in the dark. To me, it's either like C.S. Lewis, Rollo May, or like Nietzsche. And <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Maybe readers know. Oh gosh. It may be G.K. G.K. Chesterton too. Oh, but, that's
1: that might be. Oh, hold on. Um, now but, I just have to look it up. But yeah, go, that go idea ahead,
2: yeah. of when when things get dark in therapy, as therapists, we were are looking, we're seeking for. You know, what's going to shine some healing light into this therapeutic moment Mm. and evidence based therapies, especially with all of like our cultural, like belief and trust in science, which is not bad, not at all, Mm. but it's really easy to then run with things a little too quickly. My mind also goes to like Daniel Kahneman Mm -hmm. and his whole, I, his whole book thinking fast and slow of how sometimes our, our brain, Will make statistically sloppy errors for the sake of efficiency, mm. and sometimes that's what EBT feels like. Um, other times, EBTs feel very efficient and they actually work. And so, like finding what what do we mean when we say EBTs? How much like can I invest my hope into some of these random control trials mm. and uh, the literature out there? Um, as well as also, like, again, I keep coming back to this, encouraging readers to read Mm. in an embodied way these articles of random control trials Mm -hmm. that we're going to talk about, like, which ones we're going to look at, Mm -hmm. of, like, the language is sort of enticing, too. Yeah. Like, the way these researchers are publishing, it's like, no, that language stokes me to want to, like, utilize this because there's a hope there.
1: Yes, and that's one thing that you know we've talked about on in season one and what is under sort of undergirding the field of academic inquiry in psychotherapeutics it's not just this desire to prove something, but it's people learning how to speak mm. about things yeah. with each other like those two things together are really. The way that I just—it's hard to not be—it's hard to be anything other than romantic about research for mm. me, yeah. Because of that piece, these are people playing around with ideas, ways of talking, new ways of talking, sometimes inventing new words or new um, names for things to try and make it fit better to communicate the felt sense that they have of the phenomenon that yeah. they're observing, yeah. And then we argue. Hopefully respectfully and lovingly mm-hmm. and with invitation and welcome, but we try it on so to speak. Yeah in real time with each other and say, well, you know, here's what I know and here's the disciplines that I'm familiar with and what they would say about this thing. And, um, I was just having a conversation the other day about, um, a- about, uh, neuropsychoanalysis and like that as a discipline yeah. <laughs> did not exist it just wasn't something that was around until alan shore was like no i think we need to be talking about this yeah we need to wed the lab coats with the armchair <laughs> yeah psychoanalysts and really be thinking interdisciplinarily about these things yes think if research wasn't around like what would that be like if people weren't publishing and talking to each other all the time and reading literature review after literature review hunting down references i mean to me that's just the most romantic thing I can think of. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
2: Which like makes me think of what we've implicitly kind of held space for on this podcast in the articles we've chosen up until now. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about structural dissociation. We've talked from a, uh, uh child psychiatrist, the memories of fear and the neurosequential model mm-hmm. of therapeutics. We've talked through neuroscience. Mm-hmm. We've talked mm-hmm. through Alan Shore's work. Yeah. We've talked about attachment theory. We've talked about, um, the um dissociative table technique, yeah. like dependency, dependency attachment, like a little Bromberg in there, a little Bromberg, a little analysis. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even the ecosomatics. Yeah. Yes. Um, and talking very specifically to the analytic work as it relates to the environment. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, Those are all like held in this posture that at beyond healing, we, we rigidly try to like, cling with is that there are no heroes and there are no villains mm. and that in research, like what people are saying makes sense in some way. And how can we come to understand that and integrate that with what the rest of the world is saying?
1: Yeah. That posture that somehow this makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I talk about that with every client that I have um, because to me that, what if that was our fundamental posture yeah. with any phenomenon? Somehow this makes sense We got to talk to people We have to read and see what's been said We have to listen Truly listen Mm -hmm. And see if we can hear Yeah
2: Mm -hmm. Which in research
1: can sometimes be really hard
2: (laughs) Yeah There's a lot of language out there that If you're not a part of the game already The rules are hard to pick up Yes Um, But hopefully this season makes that a little bit more approachable
1: Yes so with the with this um, season, we kind of wanted to approach what is now, we have the kind of basic framework or groundwork of our approach. It's consisting of the literature review that we presented in season one. And so with that then, what does EBT really mean? what What does it mean to have a standardized process of determining evidence-based therapies? What do people think about that? Um, And how do we understand it through the lenses of our fundamental posture through season one? Yeah. Um, The first part of season two is going to be getting into memory reconsolidation. Why, Caleb, would we focus on memory reconsolidation?
2: Because it's literally the foundation of every positive therapeutic encounter.
1: Yes. That is why. That is why. Yeah. That's exactly right.
2: Yeah. And, and even like that mirroring somewhat of how season um, one started, we started with the attachment, but then very quickly went into Perry's um, idea of of memories of fear. Memory reconsolidation is all about the study neurobiologically of how does plasticity, plasticity within the brain come to inform Mm -hmm. changes about what has happened in your life and your experience-dependent development. Mm-hmm. How do we change that? Yeah. And it used to be thought that you don't change the brain; you just add and and kind of over prioritize yeah. yeah. old learnings. And modern neuroscience is exploding. Yeah, actually with,
1: saying, yeah,
2: actually there's sometimes this whole process of reconsolidation, mm-hmm. which is a changing of the physical neuronal structure of memories.
1: Yes. Um, Wherein we actually uncover the affective entanglement that was accompanying this cognitive emotional learning and thus created this insulated pattern of reactivity.
2: Yeah. And the thing that's so like important about that is that if you're not engaging in memory reconsolidation, you're engaging in what the memory reconsolidation field calls extinction. Yes. Which is this over prioritizing of one strategy over another. Yeah which is different from changing the old strategy.
1: Can we just, I want to maybe spin up a little bit here. Yeah. Just as one example of why this would be important is like the field of addictions talking about the difference between extinction versus reconsolidation Mm. within substance use treatment.
2: Perfect example.
1: Yeah. Where if we have this idea that it's, you know, through extinction that we're going to try to tackle this thing,
2: which is extinction. Label it. It's the, it's the, uh, providing oh, of an yes. alternative right. strategy that then takes priority over. Yeah. The...
1: And I would, and this is not something that I've seen like the link empirically demonstrated, but to me, extinction based work really sounds a lot like motivational interviewing mm. or I- even these behavioral reward, uh, therapies and things that, you know, kind of say, okay, well, when you want to go. Do this. What are you going to do instead? Yeah. yeah. That type of posture is not reconsolidative. It's extinctive. Yeah. It's seeking to encourage and reward an alternative choice to a maladaptive uh, behavior or outcome or social setting or whatever it is.
2: Yeah. And the word extinction is a little bit tricky of a word. Because yeah. really it's a, that network is not extinct. Yeah, as we the, think about
1: like dinosaurs, quote yeah, unquote, or the like behavioral
2: whatever. manifestation of that yeah. neural network is extinct in its current like presentation. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean this is why re- reconsolidation work is so important. That doesn't mean that under certain circumstances, the brain can go back to that old state-dependent learning mm-hmm. and reactivate all of the emotional learnings connected to. addictive behaviors
1: yeah which found substance use or whatever as the strategy that i have to use yep yeah yeah and seeking to very intentionally reactivate that somatic neurosequential activation pattern and seek to disconfirm it through Mm -hmm. a mismatched experience and thus reconsolidate to where now it's not that there's an alternative uh behavioral activation strategy that you could choose instead it's that you don't need the strategy anymore. Mhm. Because it's been reconsolidated in a way that doesn't necessitate the use of an external strategy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So whether we're talking about CBT, EMDR, DBT, somatic, yeah, somatic psychotherapy, attachment-based therapy, like all of those therapies ground themselves and can ground mm-hmm. themselves in the science of memory reconsolidation mm-hmm. and understanding what deep integrated change neuro architecturally looks mm-hmm. like and yeah. feels like yeah. and so that's why we start there if we're right. going to talk about EBT's we're going to talk about the foundation yeah, neurobiologically which, of what EBT's ought to be sort of aiming
1: at yeah we're saying something and this is just outing like what we'd be saying in that <laughs> few episodes is that if something has been determined as evidence based it's because it holds this yeah whether, it's doing this process. Yes. Whether intentionally or just serendipitously, yeah. happenstantially, it's just occurring. Mm-hmm. Memory is being reconsolidated and alternative, uh, strategies are being carried out seemingly organically. That's memory reconsolidation. Yeah. Like, that's a product of memory reconsolidation. So yeah. if anything is EBT, it's because it holds this. Yeah, it has to. Yeah. Just by human nature. Yeah. yeah. Mammalian I, nature, really. Yeah,
2: I love that you use the word organically because memory reconsolidation is not something that we stumbled upon. It's a naturally occurring neurobiological phenomenon. And process. Yeah, yeah, process. And the only thing that happened is that we learned about it.
1: Well, yeah, we, and I love, and we'll get into this in some of the articles, but I love the almost playfulness of discovering it. Oh, yeah. Like just in the, I think this is happening. I think that this is actually like an ordered sequence of events that can be reactivated. Yep. That's crazy. Yeah. Duplicated. Study. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Yes. That's so cool to me. And so we've, so,
2: we've got a couple of four episodes on just that. Yeah.
1: Um, which is. In themselves, tell a story. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Of the introduction, of the the wrestling with it, mm-hmm. and then of the application into Mm -hmm. Therapeutics Yes And practice
1: Yes So that is going to lead us Into talking about then Within the field And sort of area Of evidence-based psychotherapies Evidence-based therapies Evidence-based modalities Evidence-based treatments Whatever you're familiar with Is this just a Unanimously accepted idea And if not Which hint it's not What are some of the advantages And challenges Of working with that Like why uh, is why are we at this place now where we have all of these EBT's, but there's still such disagreement and mm. there's still such like diversity among practitioners of using one modality or the other? Is yeah. it because they don't want to help people? No. They are connecting with something else inside the treatment package Yeah, of that modality. And so what is that like from an empirical standpoint to research? And how do you know then what to make of it on the other side when you're thinking about what should I be trained in? Yeah. How should I specialize?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: What should I be using with this population? Yeah. What about when it's actually this subvariant of this population? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So then from advantages to challenges, moving on to an article that is comparing 15 evidence supported therapies for adult depression. I love which this. That sounds incredibly fun. Yes. And you, you chose that one. So yeah, what, when you saw that, also ch- decided, you know, we need to do this. Yeah. What was coming up?
1: Okay, so I chose this article for many reasons. Number one, because it's 2020, which is reasonably recent Yeah. Uh, in terms of a meta-analysis, which yes. is the second reason why I chose it. It's a meta-analysis. So it's not one group carrying out a, you know, uh, independent sample effect size comparison yeah. of a, you know quote-unquote manualized treatment it's a team of researchers that's looking at a huge number of studies um, that are rcts that have gone through a very um intentional and strict inclusion criteria process to this now meta-analysis that they're going to compare Mm -hmm. and it's a bit of like a oh i don't know meta-analyses are like a A romance for me again Because it's just like Of course Dang Like you guys got to just like Bury yourself In And I just did a systematic review This past semester And so I started with 1200 articles And By process of like Looking for breadcrumbs Yeah Found what Is a thread in here And that then revealed Which ones are just like Ancillary Not really on topic And found the message that emerged Yeah It's such a beautiful process So reading just the title The Effects of 15 Evidence Supported Therapies for Adult Depression A Meta-Analytic Review That right there is just like What is going to come of this? Very provocative 2020 15 evidence-based therapies for adult depression Which is one of the most difficult disorders to treat Yeah What's going to come out on top? Yeah I
2: even love like the, the seeking of like, I feel I, I share the meta analysis desire to mm-hmm. bury m- and find the answers, but yes. uh, I also think that that like mirrors in a way or mimics in a way the the desire of the therapist that says I have, I can have like 15 different presentations of depression Yeah, uh, and like what, like how do I bury my head in, into these cases, make sense of them. And see the common thread, but also, as the meta-analysis does, is see the, where certain links are missing and what's mm-hmm. different and what's, um, what can't be
0: kind of consolidated with the other studies. of our
1: system mm-hmm. to get it down to one number or one EBT
2: yeah yeah
1: hmm. yeah so we move from there then to how do we know what is evidence-based so I <laughs> just can, love that you can read into what um you know that comparing 15 evidence supported therapies for adult depression article is about and we're going to have all of these links kind of in the show notes but in this article, um, this is a 2019 um, publication from a, a you know professional psychologist that was looking at the commitments that the uh, field of professional clinical psychology has for the therapies that they use. And in this article, the author is saying that evidence-based practices actually don't stand up to our own um, even way of assuring that we're practicing ethically as clinicians.
2: Yeah. It's a, in the title, it says a conceptual critique of the scientocentrism in evidence-based practice in psychology. Yes. Which like even saying that, um, you can hear us as we talk, having this deep appreciation and also love for
1: science. For science. Exactly.
2: And, and yet, again, there's no hero. Science isn't going to be the end all savior of It's us. not the magic
1: bullet. It's not going to end. Yeah. Also, so it, did you really quick, did you watch just look up? Don't look up. Don't look up. yet. Not yet. yet. Oh, no, yeah, speaking yeah. of, it's amazing. Yeah.
2: I've, I've seen it everywhere. I've heard like the comments about how relevant it is yeah. to just the experience of being a
1: human right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's just such a critique on even like what you just said of the, you know, science is not going to save us. Absolutely. Especially if we don't know how to listen to it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If we don't know how to integrate it with everything else. Yes. It'll be just like if I if I am over relying on anger. Mm-hmm. Everything then becomes an object to punch. But if anger is integrated with the rest of my system... I can be angry and sad. I can be angry and even like confused. I can Mm. be angry and pro-social. I like science just as much needs to be integrated with the rest. With the rest. Yeah. If it is too abstracted into the Scientocentrism of its own field, Mm -hmm. not connected to the rest of the stories being told by other disciplines, then it deserves to be critiqued.
1: Yes. And, and it's it's such a tricky thing that I, I just find so many people just maybe haven't thought about or struggle to really integrate even, you know, just for myself of, but how can it be that we have a process by which to determine a result like the scientific method, but we still don't know? That's the question to me. Yeah. You know, the scientocentricity has Produced a ton of calculators Like a ton of equations Mm -hmm. And ways of isolating variables And observing interactions And all of these things But we're still so enchanted by the mystery Mm. Of the human organism And what they do in relationships What effect that relationship then has And this article is getting at We can't just chase the the gold standard of evidence-based as a seal of look no further. Here Mm -hmm. it is. This is the, like, like you said, this is the, this is the knight in shining armor for what you need. Yeah. It's contextualized. It's relational. It's more complex than that. Yeah. That's where this is going.
2: Yeah. And even like the next article is, should EBT's be standardized? Um, has been kind of the general question of that article and yeah like to what extent does this like very in-depth rigorous method what does it tell us and how do we use it yeah. to engage the mystery that is we're all human mammals with emergent complex relational systems mm-hmm. and I have a body which kind of makes things a little muddy sometimes and also crystal clear at times mm what should be standardized and what shouldn't. I love it. Yeah. Yes. That's and a question to wrestle with.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. And what are the pros and cons for either completely adopting or completely throwing away a standardized process? Yeah. You're like, hey, I get it. It's, it's way more complicated than we should be messing around with standardized, you know, designs and ways of isolating variables, et cetera. So, yeah, let's just throw it away altogether. Yeah. What do we lose in that? Yes. And wrestling with that. Should it be standardized? What's an alternative? That's one of the things that I challenge my students With is we have to think more creatively Hmm. Find the third It feels black and white. I know it does and you want it to be in so many ways find the third like that if we can just Get that into our natural process of what do I do? I find the third. What do I do? I find the third It's always a middle way There's something else out there.
2: Emergent process. Yes, exactly.
1: Keep wrestling with it because even if you try a thousand times, the thousand and one time might be the one that shows you the next step. Yeah. Keep trying.
2: Yes. Speaking of keep trying and throwing things out completely, Mm. we have a super special episode. Yes. That is going to be very... I don't know. It just feels super important. And also like. It's very timely. Timely. Read the article several times. Mm -hmm. And it just like, we need to be talking about this, especially on EBT. Mm -hmm. Um, The article is about polyvagal theory being debunked. Yes. And uh, kind of the, is it the New York Times? Yeah. um, Did like an op-ed. Op-ed piece on it. Op-ed piece on polyvagal theory saying it's kind of debunked. It's not kind of what it, yeah. We should it, not.
1: Yeah. We should completely throw it away. Yeah.
2: It has nothing good to offer us is kind of like the determination broadly, like the determination. Yeah. And for us, one of the things we're going to do is not only like invade that stance and see where that's coming from, but hold the opposite stance of Stephen Porges, um, came out with an article. Uh, well, with a chapter, of pre-published
1: a, book. a chapter of the book, yeah. which I've, like I love that yes. pre-releasing a chapter, the saying no to the prophet mm-hmm. in that moment. is just beautiful. Yes. But, yeah. The, the authenticity to the field, yeah, the yeah. patience and the, just like, you know, even as these allegations and these like accusations were coming out of calling into question, the lizard brain and, and even like, you know, all these things that are similar in that way of, well, and you're the nervous system and the, Myelinated branches of the autonomic nervous system are not new to Human beings and so like this whole theory is crap. We just need to throw it out No, yeah, it's a beautiful story Yes in the publishing series that took place in the in the academic journals that we're talking about pvt because you watch how Red herring fallacy after red herring fallacy is employed to dismantle a theory yeah. which is that something that wasn't even in the theory was accused of being completely unfounded.
2: Yeah, and then the reason to throw it out. I, to me, that's it's such an important, I'm, like we're doing that special release because as therapists who, you know, we're the ones that deal with the anxiety in the room <laughs> yeah. of like the, the researchers, they don't, they don't, deal with what we deal with in the therapeutic hour yeah and so like there's this it's so easy to get caught in the wave of like oh that's that's junked it's debunked Mm -hmm. so let's like not use that anymore right um and and it's an easy sway but to see in the field this is actually what the field does
1: and it's very helpful the field
2: (laughs) has a synthesis somebody comes out with an antithesis and then there's a synthesis mm-hmm. of the two that makes greater sense. And mm-hmm. Stephen Portis's article does an amazing job of being like generous to the, the, the critiques and saying really what
1: the critiques are saying. Is and the this. criticizers like yeah. the theory. Yes. But also the, the humans yeah, that the, are doing the it.
2: researchers who are spending their time, like doing the actual research. He's very good about saying like, no, yeah, yeah. You guys are saying what you're saying. And actually it, it what you how you're saying it applies to the polyvagal theory it actually like that's not true in any way and
1: here and lays it out in table format like yes here's what i said here's what you said here's how this doesn't make any sense yes
2: yeah yeah and being very grounded in that yeah um and so for therapists to realize like don't get caught up in the newest wave (laughs) of research make sure we're being contextually oriented yes and open to not villainizing or over like emphasizing mm-hmm. any sort of fad or mm. new research. Yes, please jump into it, but mm. hold it openly. Um, yes. So that episode is like a great, I think for therapists who want to get into research, that's a great, that's going to be a great episode of learning, you know, research is having a conversation. Yes. So we need to be open to that, not yeah. judgmentally. Picking sides.
1: One of the things that we talked about in the theory creation episode was also how we conceptualize evidence-based. We talked about how is it useful? Is this useful to you with this person now in creating the effect that you desire and that Mm -hmm. your client desires? Can you understand why? Sounds good to me. Yeah. I'm so glad it was helpful. And I hope that you continue to find what's helpful to you. That that really, you know, to me, just like completely levels the playing field of these allegations like this. You know, there's nothing to glean from it. That op-ed kind of determination. What? I have personally (laughs) used it in therapy and had multiple, to me at this point, it's, it's innumerable how many people have just been like, I applied this and this is the insight that I gained from it. And this is the, the, what I learned about myself in applying it. And here's what I'm thinking about. Even this interaction right now. Yeah. It's a way of talking.
2: Yes. Yeah. Making sense.
1: Is it helpful to you? Yeah. That's beautiful.
2: Speaking of what is helpful, I feel like that's where the second half of the season sort of Mm -hmm. bends as far as the first half is almost Very question-oriented. We have the memory reconsolidation, which is let's get a foundation. Then we have some questions. What does it even mean to be evidence-based, to have standardized protocols, to make sense of um, positive outcomes, efficacious treatments? Then we have, hey, look, someone in research is actually having a really difficult conversation and they're doing it well. Mm -hmm. Let's look at how polyvagal theory is engaging that. Mm. And then the second half is sort of Now let's really get into things like trauma, relational trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, and then conceptualizing disorders Mm -hmm. through the lens of open handedness. Yeah. That is not a collapsing into, you know, if you have, if you qualify for depression, Mm -hmm. you're just like everybody else who has depression. Like how do we find the, the balanced open kind of posture for diagnoses treatment understanding case conceptualization. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about RDOC?
1: Yes. Well, and I think, you know, after the PVT episode comes out, we're going to just as you kind of summarize there, jump into early relational trauma and PTSD, which is another just like one of my own biases in looking at the origin of uh, discomfort or or even just uh, the origin of dysfunctional behavioral patterns. dis disease, is, Dis-ease, yeah. exactly. Is that it originates in how we conceptualize trauma. Yeah. So early relational trauma in particular is something that has a um, disproportionate effect on one's conceptualization and representation of self and other, which perpetuates the internalization of displaced and augmented affect, mm-hmm. which then further perpetuates the maladaptive, quote unquote, coping mechanisms, behavioral strategies, and their accompanying pro-symptom beliefs. Yeah. So when we're looking at ERT and PTSD, what has research shown to be quote unquote evidence based? And with everything we've talked about up to that point in the podcast, what do we know about that? Why would that be the case?
2: Yeah. And hopefully a lot of callbacks to season one. Oh, absolutely. Why does this make sense given some of the voices we've heard from before?
1: Yes. Yes. Why would an evidence-based therapy be evidence-based? Why would it be creating the effects that it is celebrating? Mm -hmm. So in that then, that calls into question to me, at least intuitively, how do we know what we're talking about? Like, How do we know what why we would call it ERT. Why would we know why we call it PTSD? Why would we know what we call it? Yeah. Yeah. Why this categorization impulse? Hmm. And we'll we'll talk about that in the episodes that, well, you know, in the process of determining evidence-based therapies, one of the things you have to do is you have to categorize for, uh, observing interaction effects. You have to turn it into a variable Yep. to do that. You have to start really cutting kind of splitting hairs.
2: Yeah. What variable is this?
1: Yeah. What presentation qualifies quote unquote. Yeah. And for some, and I remember getting into graduate school and having some, some people just like, there's more than one categorization Hmm. qualification. And there are multiple systems (laughs) that are out there that a lot of people don't, don't know about or, or don't understand why it's there. And so that's where I really wanted to bring some attention to both the ICD and the DSM in their origins and in their differences, but then also this relatively new uh, movement towards something called uh, RDOC or RDOC, Research Domain Criteria, which is an initiative started by the National Institute of Mental Health to take a new look about a new look on symptomology and what are previously called disorders to look at a functional wellness perspective and how to integrate all of the disciplines that we have in the human health sciences. Can we have one shared framework Yeah. for discussing, researching, treating, referring, et cetera, all of these presentations? Where do they come from? How do we talk about that? How do we research that?
2: Yeah. How so, you're saying the National Institute for Mental Health is already saying, already beginning a process of how do we integrate not just diagno- diagnosis, but diagnosis, treatment planning, treatment, outcome measurements? The crazy thing
1: is it started in 2011, really, 2009, which yeah. is crazy to me. Yeah. The amount of publishing on this thing has dropped off. Which is so interesting.
2: That is very interesting. Yeah. I assumed it was still going.
1: It is, I mean, but marginally compared to when it first started.
2: Yeah, because there's a lot of literature from that early time Mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. um, So much so that it's, it's, I mean, you could read it for a long time.
1: Yes, exactly. And so we're going to hopefully have an interview with somebody who's doing a lot of work um, in this that I've uh, just began correspondence with. Um, but in this, there's something going on. And, and I, I do think that there's a story behind why that is, because if you look at even on the national Institute of mental health website, RTOC, you can go click on it. They have publications there. You can look at it by year. You look at it by these early years and you're looking at 10, 20, 30 articles a year. You look at them, you look at them more recently and you're like at one, two, what's mm. going on? Yeah. Something is happening. Yeah.
2: What's going on there?
1: Yeah. We have to pay attention because the the framework is exactly what we use in our case conceptualization strategy. Yep. And we'll talk about this in our in our podcast that, you know, these domains that they're talking about in research domain criteria are right in line with the synthesis that we've been working on mm-hmm. for quite some time now. And so for it to be falling off in research publication output, that means something's happening. Yeah. What the field has been saying is what we should be talking about for centuries now is no longer creating publications. Hmm. So something's up.
2: Feels sneaky, fishy. This- Sounds like a breadcrumb trail, which we seem to be I love in love good breadcrumb with. Breadcrumb trail, yes. <laughs> which hopefully, listeners, we've given you enough of breadcrumbs about the teasing out of what's to come in the next season that you're interested, excited, want to follow along, maybe that's just listening, but maybe that's also going and reading some of these articles for yourself. Maybe Mm -hmm. there was a certain one that piqued your interest. Um, those articles will be kind of displayed in the show notes below. (laughs) Um, so whatever platform you're listening on, make sure you check out those show notes, um, get connected with those articles. If you want to read them, um, some of them may be tricky with different publications and Mm -hmm. and different stuff, but, um, do the best you can find the articles that intrigue you, read them, wrestle with them, listen along with us and enjoy the journey of season two, which is really diving into what makes a therapy evidence-based.
1: Thanks for joining. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you stay curious and create community around discussing the research that matters most to clinicians and researchers.
2: If you're curious to learn more about something you heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming case conceptualization trainings and community events. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com.
1: If you wanna stay connected, Please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes. Leave us a review and follow us on social media by searching the Evidence Based Therapist podcast. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, a media creation group committed to creativity, community, and embracing the beauty of being human. If you like this podcast, You might also like the other podcasts of Beyond Healing Media.
3: Notice that is an EMDR podcast hosted by Emdrea approved consultants and trainers who use EMDR in their practice.
1: Beyond Trauma is an educational podcast on the journey of trauma therapy and what it means to be humans who have been hurt, but are learning to recover and grow, living the life we all want of safety and connection. The burnout educator is an interview style podcast that invites stories from people across the spectrum of the educational system and seeks to see the human
2: inside the role they play. It is our desire that you see parts of your story and those around you
1: in the stories you hear.
3: If you enjoy what you hear on these episodes and are interested in speaking with one of us at beyond healing Institute, we would love for you to reach out about our consultation opportunities of all the many things that we do. Consultation is one of the things that we enjoy most. We love supporting other clinicians and conceptualizing their cases from a neurobiological and nervous system-informed perspective. We offer individual and group consultation for somatic integration and processing, as well as for EMDR therapy. Individual consultation is a great way to get personal time to reflect on your cases and how you and your work influence one another. Group consultation offers so many opportunities for learning and connection with other like-minded clinicians. Our greatest mission at Beyond Healing Institute is to offer opportunities for professional development and create a supportive community in the field of mental health.
1: Beyond Healing Institute is excited to announce that we're moving. Okay, well, we're not moving our building, but we're moving our trainings, continuing education resources, and community events to Canvas. This will help you, as a member of the community, to stay in contact with other members of the Beyond Healing community, while also providing a platform that brings consistency and convenience to all of our trainings and course offerings. Canvas is an online learning management system that will be your home base for all things Beyond Healing, as well as a virtual campus that will house all of our trainings and continuing education resources. We're so excited
0: to invite you to our virtual campus on Canvas And we hope to see you there soon.